Welcome to Metal Injections, the Squared Circle Pit. Today's special guest is one the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champion. He's the RPW Cruiserweight Champion, El Fantasmo. And now, here's your host, Rob Haspani. The summer heat is roaring for professional wrestling and heavy metal. It's a big month for wrestling, big month for metal. Rob, welcome to Squared Circle Pit. Today, the new Slipknot record came out just in time for SummerSlam weekend. It's a big weekend for pro wrestling. I wanted to get in before the weekend with some predictions, and I have a huge guest. Very excited to have El Phantasmo. You might have seen him at the New Japan uh, Best of Super Juniors this past summer. He just won the IWGP Junior Tag Team titles at the end of that tour. And uh, he's a great guy. He's a metalhead. He's a, a really fun interview, and we really get into it. We talk about how he got to New Japan. We talk about uh, winning the title, being in the ring with the likes of Jushin Thunder Liger, and then just his taste in heavy metal. And then uh, at, after the interview, I'll give a little uh, prediction on this weekend with SummerSlam, NXT, the G1 Finals, lots of good stuff. If this is your first time listening to Squared Circle Pit, thank you for listening. And I highly recommend you uh, go back and check out the archives. I have so many fun episodes, so many great interviews with people like Kenny Omega, Chris Jericho, uh, Rowan, Eric Bischoff, Corey Taylor from Slipknot, Maynard from Tool, two artists who have uh, big releases coming out this month on the metal side. Uh, lots of cool interviews. Go to metalinjection.net slash Pit or check us out on Spotify, iTunes, Podcasts, wherever, you know, the whole deal. Anyway, here is my interview with El Fantasma and then some predictions at the other end of it. Now entering the Squared Circle Pit, the newest member of the Bullet Club. I'm so excited. El Fantasmo, thank you so much for uh, coming on Metal Injection Squared Circle Pit. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, now, it's it's been a, a crazy couple of months for you, I assume. Uh, you made your debut in new japan i'm going to be completely frank i, I wasn't too familiar with you uh before that I, I have seen you on a few rev pro shows but uh, uh i i imagine you, like it must have it, like overnight you were like whoa the amount of attention you got especially with your performance in the uh, super junior tournament might have been a little overwhelming uh yeah man it's uh something you hear about uh, you know when you make that big jump you don't really expect it but like the social media numbers like doubled uh, still to this day is still constantly growing. Uh, but I mean, it's something that we've wanted to do ever since we started wrestling uh, as any wrestler does. So, you know, I'm just happy that it's, uh, it's happening. And uh, I really thought I really dug the entrance and like the whole presentation. It was very cool. And I noticed that when you came out, you, you had, you altered the bullet club design to say headbanger club. Yeah, and, and and that caught my attention, of course, because <laughs> you know, being uh, running a metal website, I I consider myself a headbanger, so that's very cool. So you enjoy uh, uh, heavy metal as well as pro wrestling. Oh yeah, man, I love I love everything that's hard and heavy. You know, the I started uh, doing the headbang thing like back in 2012. I would uh, come out to like an Alice in Chains remix. Uh, then I switched over to like the dubstep, heavy, headbang and stuff, uh, you know, and it's just, it's stuck. No one else is doing it in wrestling. So it's become my thing. And, you know, when they said uh, I was joining Bullet Club, I was, you know, you've seen the buffet club and every sort of Bullet right. Club ripoff. I was like, what can I do? I was like, well, it's headbang club. Uh, but the headbang was kind of like too long uh, on the T-shirt. So we just took out the vowels and and here we are. But yeah, I love metal, man. That's cool. So what what drew you in first? Was it music or pro wrestling? Uh, def uh, definitely music. Um, I remember the first album that really switched me to uh, to the metal music was the Black Album by Metallica. Uh, like I remember my dad had uh, a bookshelf full of CDs and I'd listen to uh, Bruce Springsteen, but I remember putting that uh, Metallica album on for the first time and it's got like that, that Egyptian sounding song. 
uh, I don't remember what it's called, but like that album, I was like, oh, what's this? And uh, ever since then, I've been gravitated toward everything loud, hard, and heavy. Yeah, I like that. And it's interesting that when, when you say loud, hard, and heavy, for you, that isn't only constricted to heavy metal, like you mentioned, dub and like like harder electronic as well, right? Oh, yeah. Like, I love that stuff. And I mean, you go to a, to a dubstep show, there's some of the craziest mosh pits compared to any metal show that I've been to. Uh, you know, those those DJs are playing all about the energy. And when they drop that bass, you know, the crowd goes wild and you get the bros uh, in the middle, just bashing each other. It's great. <laughs> uh, that's cool. So what, what are some of what are some other bands other than Metallica and Alice in Chains, as you mentioned, that that you over time became big fans of a big fan of? Uh, I'm a big uh, metalcore guy. Uh, I think. Back in high school, I started getting into new metal. It's like I remember the first time I heard Static X. Uh, I was blown away, and then uh, then I found Hatebreed, and then I found Parkway Drive, and then August Burns Red, and then you start finding the the underground bands like Moto Grader and stuff. Um, just any yeah, that stuff I just love. I oh, that's so like something with a little more of an industrial tinge too, which kind of gets back to the electronic stuff uh you like some fake drums in your heavy metal sometimes <laughs> uh, oh of course you I mean i also love black label society and those uh uh amount of marth viking metal um you know there's so many subgenres of metal that you can just dive into it's it's great like even nickelback has some good heavy songs i like, you know everyone loves to hate nickelback and stuff but you know they've got some bangers and I mean, you're from Vancouver, so you're supposed to say something nice uh, about Nickelback. So yeah, the it's Canadian excusable. boys, man. You know, he, uh, <laughs> Chad Kroger dated Alvaro Levine. Like that's, you know, that's pretty respectable. So, you know, they I definitely hate some of their songs too. So they're not all that good. But yeah, hell yeah, to Nickelback. So how did you end up uh, from going from Vancouver? Uh, like, how did you end up in the the British wrestling scene? Uh, starting out in canada yeah my uh my wrestling career is kind of troubled um wrestling in canada you only would do it uh once or twice a month uh you know it's not it's not a big scene out there there's just the local guys so it's always been known that you have to leave vancouver to get noticed uh and Actually, i was gonna to just take a step back like where did you when did you start training like what was your impetus uh i started in 2005 um the funny thing is I never planned on being a wrestler, which was always interesting. I always uh, wanted to go to film school and make movies. So when I graduated high school, I went straight to uh, the Art Institute of Vancouver and took a digital film and video course. And uh, it just so happened I had to do a project on an actual company and like make like a fake corporate video for them. Uh, mm -hmm. and one of my best friends from high school, Artemis Spencer, uh, wrestled all throughout high school. And I always thought it was cool, you know. Uh, I liked Raw as a kid and, and the Attitude Era and stuff, but I never like saw myself as a wrestler. Mm -hmm. So I did this project uh, on a local wrestling company in Vancouver, and I was filming the the training class, and I was like, oh, man, this looks like so much fun. Uh, when I thought about it, I was like, I've always loved theater in high school, and I've always loved uh, PE class. So it's basically improv and gym class together. So uh, I started low-key just wrestling training in the background while I was doing film school and then I uh, just stuck with it and then uh, like the wrestling disease has just took over and wrestling's all I could think about so like you mentioned you were a fan of the attitude era and everything did you kind of fall out of wrestling and then kind of when you had this film assignment it reminded you that like oh this is fun is that kind of how it happened yeah I guess so uh you know I always like watching raw being in Canada, we didn't get Nitro, um, mm -hmm. like, at the same time, so I never really watched WCW, but we did get ECW on TNN, and watching that was like, I was like, holy shit, this rules, like, RVD yeah. <laughs> and Kajiri, like, the, the Mike Awesome powerbombing people off the top rope through tables, like, the atmosphere of the crowd, I was like, this is crazy, um, but yeah, then life goes on, and Raw wasn't that interesting and you kind of fall out of it and then you get back into wrestling and then uh, 
I remember getting a DVD when we were training uh, that was called The Way Wrestling Should Be. And it was our trainer burned a bunch of uh, Japanese matches like Kobashi and Kawada and Misawa, things you've never even heard of, you didn't know existed. So when you're starting uh, starting out wrestling, you watch these like epic 45-minute uh, Tokyo Dome matches. You're like, what the fuck is this? This is amazing. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I had the same reaction too in the mid two thousands. Like, uh, you know, WWE was not at its its best, and I was falling out of love with wrestling. And I I wasn't training to be a wrestler, but I did have a friend that was on like IRC, so he was exposed to the Japanese wrestling scene, and he sat me down and kind of we watched some of those matches, and it, I was just be like, these people's necks, what do they do with their necks? <laughs> oh, you, you know, still it, you still think that watching the. Abushi and Naito just literally kill each other. Oh, I know, Boys, I what know. Are you doing? <laughs> uh, yeah, and so it must have been crazy to to go from that to now wrestling in some of these arenas uh, with with New Japan. But now to go back to my original question was, yeah, how did you end up in the UK scene? And then we'll get to Japan in a moment. Yeah, yeah right. Um, so yeah, being in uh, the black hole of the Pacific Northwest, uh, you kind of got to get <laughs> your get your name out there. Uh, and I trained in a class with Kyle O'Reilly and the Bollywood boys who are now in the, the WWE system. So Kyle uh, went to St. Louis and trained with a couple guys, Davey Richards and Tony Kazina. Uh, and I finished up my uh, cartoon editing job. Uh, and I went to go live with them and train with them and do the Ring of Honor uh, stuff. But I got caught at the U.S. border and uh, they refused entry thinking I was going to be a suspected illegal immigrant. So that kind of derailed my whole wrestling career, really soured me out on wrestling. Like I think mm -hmm. I took uh, took six months off wrestling just to fall back in love with it. And then I had a motorcycle crash that took me out for a year. So I had a lot of like starts and goes, but uh, I turned 30 um, and it was kind of like a, it was a now or never option in my head where if I don't pursue wrestling now, I'm never going to, and I'm going to be stuck at this desk job for the rest of my life. Uh, and, you know, as a, it's all about timing. The UK wrestling scene was on fire. They had Fight Club Pro, they had Rev Pro, they had Progress. Uh, and I just decided that I wasn't going to renew my, my job and I was just going to move to England and see what happens because I knew if I didn't, I would regret it for the rest of my life. Did you know people in the scene or you kind of just went not, to not. England cold? Yeah. Uh, like Kyle was a, a saint. He hooked me up with Andy at RevPro uh, and got me that first booking in the UK. But after that, I had nothing. Like I didn't have a place to stay for the first two months I was here. I was bouncing around Airbnbs. I had one match the first uh, first six weeks I was in England. It was tough. It was, it was real tough. But now that I've been here for two years, you know, I've made some friends for life of guys who are going through the same thing i'm going through so 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 you were in the british system for like over a little over a year before new japan made the call like how did that how did how did it happen so quickly <laughs> uh yeah i just got lucky uh Renfro had the ties with new japan progress has the ties with nxt uk wwe uh and i've always been a, a rev pro guy so i think it was last summer they booked uh two shows with new japan talent uh, super strong style evolves. Uh, I was I wasn't on the first night, but I was lucky enough to be on the second night in a four way with myself, David Starr, who I was feuding with. Uh, we got put in there with Tiger Mask and Taiji Ishimori, who, funny enough, is now my tag team partner, uh, IWGP mm -hmm. Junior Heavyweight Championship co holder. However, you want to say that. Uh, but yeah, so it was it was that match. Uh, I asked Gato to watch. I mean, he watches every match, anyways. Uh, I went into Manchester literally as an unknown, and by the end of the show, people uh, people were chanting my name just as loud as Okada. So I think that kind of opened up their eyes, and that's when I first got in touch. But that, that was last, it was like July, August, and nothing yeah. really with uh, New Japan until this May. So you didn't hear from them at all, and they just called you like, "Hey, you want to be a part of this tournament?" Was that kind of how it went? Kind of. So I, d I did that first show, and then uh, I got booked in the British J Cup, where they brought in some New Japan dudes. So uh, I wrestled Jushin Thunder Liger in the second round, um, and then I wrestled Rocky and Kushida in the finals, where I won. 
and uh, you know, Liger sent out a tweet on his foot phone about me. I think it was putting me over. I don't know. It was all in Japanese, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and it was after that that uh, I started getting booked against Rocky Romero and then El Desperado. And then it was around that time. They're like, oh, we're interested in uh, bringing you in for three months uh, for this year. Yeah, I feel like the Rocky Romero uh, match was probably like an audition for you. You know, he's he's basically like working backstage, right? Like they were like, "Can this oh, guy?" He, yeah, really he's the, he's the guy that brings in all the uh, all the guy gyms in Japan, man. Like Rocky's mm-hmm. the man. Um, that's why I'm so so lucky that we had our uh, our Super Junior match that was so well received. Uh, yeah, that was. Had- yeah, that was such a, it was so, like, he was, like, the sleeper story of the tournament, you know, like, obviously, there was the the main stuff with you and Osprey and Shingo, like, those stories, but, like, he, it's so crazy how he got the crowd behind him throughout the whole thing, and the match with you was just, like, like, how you guys worked the crowd it was so fun. Yeah, that was, that was, man, I, like, honestly, we didn't expect that when we went out there, uh, you know, it's just. It's those little stories in wrestling that you don't think about until after it happens. And I was this super asshole, undefeated dude against Rocky's, the part-time commentator wrestler and his first main event or whatever it was. And how, how uh, it was the final couple minutes uh, of the time limit and stuff, you know, it's just, it's that, it's that wrestling magic that you can't plan. You can't predict. You just, it just happens. You know, the yeah. crowd crazy, the commentators cheering for Rocky so much, like, the, the anti-hero, you know, everything just clicked. And uh, I was happy to share that with him because he's been nothing but fantastic for getting me into New Japan. And to back to that question, yeah, he was definitely a tryout match. I think the making Liger look so good in the J-Cup was, uh, was a tryout match. Having another good match with Desperado was, you know, I just kept nailing these little uh, additions with New Japan out of the park. That, uh, yeah. But, like, that must have been why, like, you said you're seeing these Japanese matches, and you had, to, I'm sure, you, you saw Liger matches as you were training, and then to actually, like, I've saw, I saw, like, I've been very lucky, like, this year I saw him maybe, like, four times, he was here at WrestleMania weekend, I went to Dallas, and every time I see him, like, I don't know what it is, I get, like, choked up, like, this is so, like, this guy's a legend, and, and I'm seeing him live right before he retired, like, what did it feel like to, to see on the paper, you know, your name up against Liger, like, that must have been mind blowing. It's it's crazy. Uh, but you have like you have to play it cool. It's one of those things where you're like, <laughs> I don't really want to go ask him for a picture. Like I don't ask anybody for a picture. I'm not like a, a photo selfie guy. But you're like, holy shit, I'm tagging with Jushin Thunder Liger. Like, please, can we get like a dope ass selfie? Because that's once in a lifetime thing. And actually, he's like an actual living legend, which is so rare in this world that you're like you just look at him like holy fuck like the things that this guy's done in his career is is mind-blowing he's still going he's you know before new japan we all we all kind of like warm up and get loose and he's repping out 225 pounds on bench press like it's nothing he's 50 plus years old you're just like dude insane yeah that's wild and then so the super junior tournament this year uh it was a a round robin so it's it's kind of like the g1 but with the super juniors and to me i feel like that's a really big test of how good of a wrestler you are because you are wrestling every day and all of your matches are being streamed so people are seeing you work you know 12 days in a row or whatever whatever it was so you can't exactly just have the same match every day you have to come up with something new every day do you do you feel like uh you know, you, you grew from the challenge. What was it like to, to be in the trenches? Uh, you know, it's great. Like, throw me in the deep end right away. It, uh, <laughs> you know, getting getting into a swimming pool, I don't like stepping my toes in slowly getting in because it's so cold. And I, you know, I hate cold water. You just got to jump in and, you know, might as well do a flip to impress the girls that are at the pool too. But it's the same, <laughs> it's, you know, it's the same thing in wrestling. Just throw me in the deep end and see what happens. But uh, the, the craziest thing of... When I look back, that I don't think many people think about is uh, I've been a baby face for like the last six years of my career. Uh, and soon as I got to New Japan, I had to turn heel. There was, I literally didn't have any matches from the Indies until New Japan where I got to turn or practice, you know, switching it up. Like I mm-hmm. kind of think of it's like uh, it's being a defenseman in the, uh, in hockey your whole life and then you get drafted into the nhl as a forward 
you know, you still know how to play the game, but it, it's something you've been working on as one thing for so long that all of a sudden you have to switch it on the biggest stage that you've ever been to was crazy. So the fact that I got heat so fast and I could switch it so easily, I, you know, I'm still struggling trying to like change your moveset to become a bad guy. Like I've built my own moveset up as being a good guy to now have to switch it to being a bad guy. It's pretty tough uh, that I'm still working right. on, but. And like what you, what I assume you mean by that is like, as a, as a face, you know, you like, you want to pop the crowd. You want to get them excited about your moveset, but as a bad guy, you don't necessarily want to give the crowd what they want. Right. Like that's kind of. Well, exactly. If, if I'm doing cooler things than my opponents, it's going to be a lot harder to get the crowd to cheer for them than it is over me. So, you know, like I built, I built my whole career on doing rope walk moonsaults to the floor, you know, crazy dives or these flipping Canadian destroyers and stuff. And now, now that you're the villain, it's completely different. You can't and do so that anymore. Yeah, and you were, you were like learning on the job. Was, was there ever an instance where you're trying to like work out a match beforehand and then you kind of stop yourself and go like, no, that's like, like I shouldn't have that sort of shine in this kind of match. Like that should leave that for my opponent. Uh, the one match against Osprey was interesting because that was my first Corkin Hall. Uh, it was in the main event. Uh, and I ended up beating Osprey, which I don't know how many people debut in Corican in the main event and then win. So I think that's pretty crazy. But, you know, I did the the giant backflip off the, the stairwell over the stairs onto him. And I'm like, yeah, that was nuts. <laughs> and you get there, you're like, holy shit, like, that's actually pretty far. Like, it's got to be like a 10 foot gap. And you're looking down, you're like, if I don't make this, I'm going to face plant down the stairs. If I go too fast, I'm going to fly into the into the chairs behind us. But that was something where I was like, I don't, like, should I do this? Like, I'm trying to become <laughs> this bad guy. But then also, you're in the main event of Cork and Hall in your debut in the Super Juniors. And, you know, if no one else can do the backflip off the stairwell, you know, you got you to gotta do it. So... Did you tr did you do one for good luck, or you just eyed it and were like, I could do, I could oh, get man. it. Oh man, there's there's no way you could practice that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like I've I, I've, I, see, I've seen the gifts of people doing it before. So someone like gave the idea to me before the show, but then when I first got to Cork and Hall and I got up on that stairwell and I looked down, I was like, that is a lot farther than the camera would perceive it to be. But no, yeah. you, like it's one of those things you can never practice that. Like I've done uh, walking on the top of the cage doing a splash off that backflips off cages you know like all your ladder things you're, you're like mm -hmm. there's no way you can practice that thing is so you just got to trust yourself and when you're in the moment just not think about anything else like honestly all the crazy high spots that i've done have not been practiced before you just got to have that adrenaline and go out there and do it yeah i i I, I believe that completely. I I would not have the <laughs> the the chutzpah to to pull any of that stuff off. But uh, so like also you know some of these exchanges like they're so fast and, and like so intricate. You know you you do a move, they do a move. You got a duck, uh, they do a, a spinning roundhouse. You got a you know like do you plan out all of that or, or is that also like like a bit of improv where you're just looking? It's like a dance where you kind of respond to however your your opponent is moving. Is it? combination of both i was always wondering how those fast exchanges are, are created yeah it's definitely a bit of both i mean when when you think about what wrestling is you get to the show you have two hours before you go out to perform to to talk about your opponent you got to think about his moves you got to think about your moves you got to come up with choreography on the spot and then you have to try and memorize it. Then you got to try and think about it working. Then you got to go out there and remember it and then doing it. And then, you know, when you're out there, the bright lights, the loud roar of the crowd, if you forget one thing, then all of a sudden, you know, you can't remember what's coming up next and you just got to do things. And that's where I say that wrestling magic comes in when you can't plan things working out so good that, you know, you go out there, something will misstep, but then it works out better. And I don't know. I don't know what it is, but there's definitely a, a magic in pro wrestling. Uh, when you go out there and do those kind of things, because there's no way you can do these Tony Jaw choreographed sequences and remember it perfectly with another 25 minutes of moves after that, when you only right. had <laughs> two hours to plan it before. Like it's it's actually crazy how difficult pro wrestling is when you like analyze it 
from right, a perf- from a performer's perspective that like you can sit there and watch it as a fan but to actually think about oh that guy was on a train for six hours and he got to the venue warmed up had an hour to go over the match with someone then he had to memorize it and had to get up and warm up and then go out there and do it you know it's it's crazy uh i i'm glad you say that because i i that's something i think about all the time like especially on these shows where it's like one show a day like you gotta finish up get you know get to the next venue and just do it over again and and come up with another incredible match and with the super junior specifically i feel like you guys are are working at like double speed because there's so much more there's so many more like moves per minute you know like if you were to do an analysis (laughs) like just really break it down like uh scientifically uh that it, it it gets it's overwhelming probably sometimes oh for sure and you also got a couple on the fact that you're sore you're battered you're sleeping on these japanese hotel beds that are literally bricks like i've never slept in such hard beds as japanese hotels so you go batter yourself and then you get on the bus you go to the hotel and you sleep on a brick and you got to do it over again for the next four weeks it's crazy and and like do you try to like like all right i have you know Osprey today, I have Romero in two days. Like, do you save spots for like two days from now, or are you just thinking yeah. about the next show? Yeah, you do. No, no, no. That's a uh, yeah, that's you kind of look at your schedule and you look at your moveset and uh, you think about when you could have special moments with special people. Like, if I do my, like my new Japan finisher is called the CR2, which I blatantly stole off Milano Collection AT. Uh, <laughs> You do that to all the top guys, but then if you can beat someone else with a, a secondary move to use that as a false E for the next match the next night, or you know, if you use a, I think I did low blow small package for a couple wins, and then the next time you do that, someone kicks out. It's that whole right. tournament storytelling that when you get to the finals and you're doing things that people have seen as the finish and then you switch it and then you get them as a false finish. So there's lots of little things that you can think about over the course of a tournament. That's really cool. Yeah, that is really cool to, to hear like that side of it because right. You can work, you can play off a story that you told the night before to tell a new story to see well, to show exactly, that your yeah. opponent's paying attention to what you're doing and all that. Exactly. When Rocky Romero uh, worked my arm, the whole match of ours, and then he tapped me out. Then the next the next show, I was like, oh, well, now my arm's actually sore, so I'm actually going to wrap it up. And then we can tell that story about Yo going after my arm, but Yo and Ro- Yo and Rocky are in the same faction, so now I'm going to be mad at him because I lost to Rocky. And then he surprises me with, like, you know, there's all those little storytelling nuances that I think really makes New Japan so great. Yeah, and it's, I, I, it's great. Like, I'm still uh, blown away that you're saying that this is your first performance as a heel because uh you know i I did see the strong style of all shows last year but i'd say like i said this was my first real exposure to you especially as as a singles guy in singles matches and it just seemed like it came so naturally to you to be a cocky heel that like everybody likes i mean to to be perfectly honest that is me in real life you know i don't have to pretend to be a good guy anymore which is the biggest blessing you know having to uh to fake a smile meeting the fans and sign autographs and do all that merch thing is is the worst when i'm actually a naturally cocky dickhead that uh <laughs> you know i don't know how gato saw it but you know the two brief interactions i had before him i think he saw that in me and decided to go that route and it works out but you know like i think the first match in the super juniors i wrestled bandito and i gave the baby the, the baby the middle finger that's something I had no idea that was going to happen. It's just in that very moment when uh, you're in that performer's mindset, I just saw a baby went for a high five and I was like, Oh no, wait, I'm not a good guy. Fuck you, baby. Just (laughs) took off off from there. And you know, I'm walking, someone's got their hat dangling in front of me. I was like, Oh, I'm just going to toss it, see what happens. And then it becomes a thing that there's no way you could predict. That's what's going to get over it. You know, you just got to go out there and get lucky and, you know, being a natural Dickhead really helps, I think. You had a lot of big matches, but I think the biggest match was when you were sharing the ring with one of the the toughest opponents in New Japan, uh, uh, Toriano. Because you never, you never know how he's gonna uh, uh, try to get you. And I feel like 
like how cool was that to get to work with with his style of like which is completely the antithesis to what you're uh, like the work rate but more so of the you know psychological stuff ah see deep down i am uh the laziest wrestler you've ever met uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i lo i love comedy wrestling i love bands and banter so i love the uk indie scene we do in four shows a week that uh you know in, in attack pro wrestling i had a storyline where i was hunting for bigfoot and stuff uh <laughs> and you know i'm always searching for bigfoot crawling under the ring calling bigfoot then he shows up six months later and then we have a hardcore match like it's the most absurd wacky things in pro wrestling that i love like i love doing slow-mo wrestling where i just all of a sudden just start moving in slow-mo and then the entire crowd starts chanting really slow you know, I, I love that stuff. So to be able to go do it with a master like uh, Yano in New Japan, oh, I was marking out more than I was to Russell Ospreay, you know? <laughs> I believe it. Yeah, like he, he I think, is, is really underrated. And uh, I feel like his G1 matches are some of the most interesting ones because you just don't know how how it ends. Like it's going to be quick and, and over before you know it. And and uh, that's what I love about it. It's completely different than everything else on the show. Yeah, that's what makes it great, because you can't have strong style, hard-hitting, fighting spirit matches five times in a row the whole tournament. You need a guy to break it up and, you, you know, to give those guys something different to work with. And the fact that he's so good, he makes his matches so entertaining, makes it work so much better. Uh, do you have, like, a wish list of guys in New Japan that, that you want to work with? Like, like people you want to share the ring with uh i mean obviously okada is is the man and to be able to to wrestle him would be the, the biggest test of my life because he's one mm -hmm. of the best pro wrestlers so to be able to go in there and just try and hang at his pace would be something that i would love you know, the last kazuna road tour i was lucky to uh, to be in eight mans with tanahashi you know he's a another legend that i would love to uh i love to go but i think those heavyweight dudes are a little bit of ways i'm really wanting to focus on the junior division and, and you know the the junior tag division has been lacking for a little while people say a lot so it would be really cool to be one of those key players to help bring it back up and really raise the the junior division you know osprey wants the main event wrestle kingdom as a junior you know to be one of those guys to to get the juniors to that level would be the ultimate goal. He does need an opponent, so I beat him twice. I haven't got my uh, I got my rematch, but you know I keep uh, I keep poking at Liger. I mean, if I could retire Liger at Wrestle Kingdom, I think that would, <laughs> that, that would be career defining. Or you know, if if he even uh, steps up to me before and I could retire Liger before he gets to Wrestle Kingdom, I think that would be. Uh, That'd be even better. Yeah, to be known as the guy that kept Liger away from his final Wrestle Kingdom. Ah, the, huge. The, the nuclear heat would be <laughs> un, unregisterable. Uh, uh, before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask about, like you mentioned, uh, you did graphic design and and you designed your Headbanger Club shirt, right? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah so I think that. that's good. No, I was cut you off no go ahead uh yeah no i used uh you know i love photoshop i self-taught myself years ago uh back when i was in vancouver i would do all the show posters um, yeah that's what i was gonna ask is like yeah like how did you develop it over time yeah the uh, you know just the, the creative outlet of making your own t-shirts that you would want to wear uh over time and making the, the posters that look better than any other wrestling poster out there and you Did know, you find that, like, uh, before you even picked it up, like, you would look at posters and be like, oh, like, you would start critiquing it and, and, and judge, like, typography and all that and be like, oh, wait, maybe sure. I should just do this. Oh, for sure. Even when you look at uh, some of the dudes' T-shirts that they release these days, you, like, you have to bite your tongue because the logo, <laughs> the, the O and N are clearly, like, off-center and out of space compared to the other side. And you're like, oh, like... You know, I'm I'm such a pixel perfect kind of guy that all my designs, like I did a a Megadeth, a Westamall that I had 
one of my friends draw up for me, but I completely like altered what he did so it satisfied what I wanted. And then I added all textures and then the, the gradients and then like literally zoom in at like 500% to make sure every, every line and every dot <laughs> is pixel, pixel perfect. You know, it's one of those like perfectionist kind of things, OCD. Uh, yeah. but, you know, it's, it's a brand uh, that you represent for yourself. So, you know, I, I want to put out some of the best stuff available. You know, a guy that I look up to, Chris Brooks, who does all the uh, CCK and Schadenfreude and stuff. You know, his his merch game is next level, and he's really brought up everybody in the UK to have better T-shirts. I mean, some of these bigger Fight Club shows that you do, you, you literally look at the merch spread, you're like, this is comparable to, to high-end metal show merch stands. You know, there's WWE's not putting out better t-shirts than some of the dudes on the indies. Um, And, you know. Did you, like, growing up, did you find yourself uh, inspired or influenced by, like, WWE graphics? Because I feel like, for me, like, I I also got, did graphic design and, and went to school for it, like, early, like, wrestling logos were so cool, and, like, I would draw them, and that was kind of, like, my first uh, uh, like, dabbling with graphic design was just trying to recreate their logos did you have uh, a similar experience now that i think about it uh i remember loving like the matchup screens for pay-per-views yes so whenever they would like the way the wrestlers would move and then freeze and then how the backgrounds would move you know that like that's what got me into after effects and photoshop that i would cut out the pictures and then make the background and then animate it in 3d space and i was like how do i make this look cool and i remember always watching uh the pay-per-views i was like i don't really care about the matches but show me the match graphics and like how the backlash looked and then how a great american bash looked and even to these days like the, the crazy 3d backgrounds wd using is pretty it's pretty awesome yeah it's pretty next level nowadays but yeah it was it, it had its own little charm uh back in the day i i agree with you and i would always look look forward to like same as you like the control center where like they go over the line up to the next show because like i wanted to see how everyone looked in those in those um like mortal Kombat match graphics oh exactly those are those are still to my day some of like my favorite things that i love seeing and you know a lot of the times in in the uk wrestling scene you won't know your match until the graphic is announced which is mind-blowing so you're like, oh, when, when the fans find out, you find out who you're wrestling. But, you know, it's cool seeing those matchup screens and how, how some of them look really cool and then you know, some of them look really shitty. But <laughs> uh, Awesome. Well, uh, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for taking some time. Uh, when can we expect you back uh, in New Japan and, and what other shows, wrestling shows, do you have coming up in, in the future? Yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm just finishing up my U.K., Indie dates. I got uh, Fight Club, Wrestling League, TNT, and then a couple Rev Pro shows, and then uh, and I think we hop over to the states to do Seattle, San Francisco, LA for the Super J Cup, uh, which I'm oh, pretty excited right. about. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what rosters going over there and who they've got got in that. I think I've uh, seen a couple preview graphics with uh, the Mystico dude. Yeah, Caristico. I saw. Yeah, yeah. I was. That's dope. Yeah, I was in Dallas, and they gave me a flyer for it. And yeah, it was. It was you. You were on it. Uh, Ishimori, Osprey, Sho and Yo, Caristico, and I believe Dragon Lee. Yeah, yeah. So So that's going to be great. I mean, I think they're going to finish G one and then kind of go towards that. But I mean, if it's the best of the best of best of Super Juniors this year, that's going to be mind blowing. That's going to be my first time wrestling on the West Coast in the states. Uh, then we come back to the Copper Box for Royal Quest. Uh, that's in London. Um, we've got like Your Call on the Friday, Copper Box on the Saturday, Cockpit on the Sunday, and then September back to Japan. But I don't really. Do you know, know. if you're going to be on that uh, East Coast run that they're they're doing in in late September? Have, have you... Oh God, my fingers are crossed. My toes are crossed. Uh, the Hammerstein <laughs> the Hammerstein Ballroom is the number one venue that I want to wrestle in. Uh, oh really? World. Oh yeah. It goes back to those ECW days, you know, more than yeah. ECW arena, the Hammerstein ballroom, watching the ECW one night stand. Uh, it's the most aesthetic visually looking wrestling venue. I think there is out there. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, uh, 
Yeah, and that's crazy that's, that you said. Yeah, I mean, I've seen so many shows there. Uh, like, it, it's, I, I'm so like I am beyond excited for New Japan to come here to New York. That's where I'm based, and uh, yeah, like that's going to be a crazy show in that venue too. Yeah, I'm. My fingers are crossed. You know, I don't think I'll hear hear about that for a while, but uh, you know, that's, right? Yeah, that's that's that, that's the literal dream. The only reason I'd <laughs> want to go to Ring of Honor is to do the Hammerstein Ballroom, but if New Japan's going to do that, I I think the uh, the amount of people that would go to a New Japan show in the Hammerstein Ballroom uh, would be ECW level. And, you know, oh, dude, I want on that so bad. Yeah, that's going to be a sell. And they're doing the ECW Arena the next night, which I'm kind of like, should I drive down to Philly? I think I might. <laughs> which, which also would be insane and crazy to do. You know, it's this, yeah, the setup that they had for the Evolve show there was was fantastic. So, you know, imagine Okada versus you know. Kenta in, in the ECW arena, like what? Yeah, that'd be, that would be... That'd be un, unreal. <laughs> uh, well, it's cool to hear that you're still a fan. The, the 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 jadedness hasn't hit you too hard just yet. Oh no, it definitely has. Don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> okay, there's, there's definitely there's definitely some things in wrestling that make you excited for that uh, that reminds you of your love and passion for it. But there's definitely some things in wrestling that. Really reminds you of how much you hate it too. So you know, yin and yang. <laughs> well, that we'll have to get into a whole uh, separate interview about all the things you hate about wrestling. That could be further into your. Oh, that would be a, two, a two-hour podcast, brother. <laughs> It'd be interesting to know that people need to know the darker side of, of pro, the things you don't see. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, they had that Vice documentary. Through. Oh yeah, Dark Side of the Ring. That's right. Yeah, I saw a couple of those. Those were great. I love Vice. The uh, you know they're great. Everything they do, top notch. So the fact that they're covering wrestling in such like a well produced TV series is great. Yeah, they 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 did a new uh, another series after called The Wrestlers, where they kind of follow around these different promotions. They have this one where they followed Gabe Sapolsky for a day and and saw how he works and they went to stardom and yeah i saw, I saw the stardom uh, one for sure yeah on, that one on youtube but yeah so that's yeah, great that cool. awesome man well el phantasmo thank you so much once again uh if you do you have a, a social media situation that you'd like to plug or yeah, i just you? got twitter and instagram at elp wrestling boom there you go follow him thank you dude and good luck uh in the super jacob Hey man, thanks for having me. Hope to uh, hope to see you on the East Coast. Yeah, if hopefully not, we'll see each other in New York. Devil horns up. Thanks so much to El Phantasmo. Great dude. Really cool of him to take the time to talk to us. And I've been obsessed with New Japan to the point that I've honestly not been keeping up with WWE so much. And it's their biggest weekend of the summer right now. It's SummerSlam weekend. SummerSlam is like, uh, it, it's... It seems like it's on a week earlier than than it used to be. I feel like it should be. It's usually like the second to last week of summer. I feel so. Usually, no. Is it just me? Anyway, SummerSlam's this weekend. NXT Takeover is the day before, and I've completely fallen off NXT this summer. NXT used to be the best show in my opinion on the whole week, and ever since the G1 started, I just haven't had time to watch NXT because I've been obsessed with the G1. And I mean, I watched it last year, I watched it the year before, but this year I think I, like la the last two years, I would always skip the prelim tag matches in the G1 and I would just watch the singles matches. But I'm so immersed in it this year that I'm basically, I mean, I'm still scanning through the opening prelims, but I'm watching way more of it than I used to. But anyway, back to WWE to kick things off. Let's talk about it. Uh, as for SummerSlam, can't say that I'm very excited for it. I'm I, I, typically I feel the last few months when uh, you come into WWE pay-per-views with low expectations, they have been delivering above-average shows. So in that sense, it could be good, and there are some matches that could shape up to be good. But the writing and, and the way things are headed, I'm just not that engaged, and a lot of the matches feel like repeats. Like let's go through the call. Brock Lesnar versus Seth Rollins. I really don't care about this match. I just, this whole angle of just felt like a complete repeat of what happened at WrestleMania, which wasn't even a gripping angle to begin with. And the way they positioned it, Seth Rollins has to win. Like, I mean, if he doesn't win, he's just gonna look like a complete doofus. 
And if Seth Rollins, I don't really care. I'm not, I don't know. Like, I loved Seth Rollins six months ago. Now I am indifferent to Seth Rollins. So it's, I don't know. But I, I predict Seth Rollins. Raw Women's Championship, Becky Lynch versus Natalya in a submission match. This could be a great match. I think the crowd's going to be really hot for this match. And I think Becky Lynch is going to win. It's, it's way too soon to take the title off of her. She just got the cover of the new video game. They're going to keep it on her, I think. WWE Championship, Kofi Kingston versus Randy Orton. This match does nothing for me. I think Kofi's going to retain. And uh, it should be good. Uh, SmackDown Women's Championship, Bailey versus Ember Moon. Talk about a, a match with barely any setup. I Like, what? Bailey attack like I don't know. Bailey, I, I say Bailey retains. Kevin Owens versus Shane McMahon. If Kevin Owens loses, he has to quit. They should rename X Pac Heat to Shane McMahon Heat. That's how not over Shane McMahon is with me right now. And I love X Pac for the record. I hope Kevin Owens loses this one. Trish Stratus versus Charlotte Flair. Cool to see Charlotte uh, and Trish wrestling. That should be a fun match. I would say I think Charlotte should win, but since Trish is saying this is going to be her last match ever, and since WWE loves Trish, I could see her winning as well. But I, I'm, I'm rooting for Charlotte. Goldberg versus Dolph Ziggler, biggest waste of a match. Who cares? Like, obviously Goldberg's going to win. If Goldberg wins in any more than 30 seconds, this will be a waste. This has to be in and out, bing, bang, boom. AJ Styles versus Ricochet. I guess you, this is the match I'm most looking forward to. I hope they actually get like 20 minutes uh, and, and have a great match. I feel like Ricochet really has to step it up and show the WWE Universe what I know, which is that he's one of the best going right now. Uh, and then we have Finn Balor versus The Fiend, Bray Wyatt. And obviously, I, feel, I can't imagine Bray Wyatt losing his you know, first match back from his relaunch. Plus, Finn Balor, there was a rumor or news that he asked for like two months off because he is about to go get married. So I could see them doing a big angle here. And then Drew Gulak versus Oni Lorcan, probably on the pre-show. Very happy for Oni Lorcan getting on SummerSlam. I hope he has a good match, but I don't see Drew losing just yet. So that's SummerSlam. Then there's NXT TakeOver. And I haven't really been uh, too caught up on what's going on with uh, NXT, but it doesn't seem like the storylines have progressed to such a point where I, I'm i behind. You know what I mean? Like, uh, the main event is Johnny Gargano versus Adam Cole, and that's been the main event the last two takeovers. They've had amazing matches. They're going to have another uh, best two out of three falls match. I was at the New York takeover where they had their first one, which was unreal. I was losing my shit. So I'm sure it's going to be great, but I don't know. They got to do something at the end of this to make me like be pumped about NXT. Shayna Baszler versus Mia Yim, like maybe the least hype I've been for a Shayna Baszler match in a while. And I like Mia Yim. I'm really happy for her that she has her spot. And I, I hope these two women absolutely crush it, but I'm going to say Shayna wins. Then we have uh, Velveteen Dream versus Pete Dune. Dune. <laughs> Versus Pete Dunne versus Roderick Strong for the North American Championship. This is going to be a great match. It'd be cool to see Pete Dunne win. Maybe Pete Dunne pins Roderick Strong. Actually, no, I can't see that. This is my prediction. Adam Cole is going to win the world title. Roderick Strong is going to win the North American title. And Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly, who face the Street Profits, are going to win the tag team titles. I think this is going to be Undisputed Era's night. So that's my prediction. And then Candice LeRae, LeRae versus Io Shirai. This should be a great match. I'm very curious to see Io Shirai as a heel. Uh, so far, she's doing great. Uh, this should be a fun match. I'm going to go with Io here. And then maybe Io gets the title match with the next takeover around Survivor Series. That's NXT and SummerSlam. But the thing I'm most looking forward to is the G1. The finals of the both blocks are this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, and then Monday is the ultimate final of the G1 itself. Now, I was rooting for Ibushi last year, I'm obviously rooting for Ibushi this year, and it actually looks like Ibushi's gonna make it to the finals. He's facing Okada, 
at the A block finals. And the winner of that match basically wins the block and goes to the finals. And I, I just can't imagine Okada winning it. Uh, if Okada wins, then there's no drama. Then Okada would face, I guess, either Naito or Moxley in the finals from the B block. And then, then, that, then you would know that that person is winning just because, you know, the winner of the G1 gets a world title shot. So it, the world champion hasn't won the G1 since they've made that rule because then the champion have to pick his challenge or something like that. I think it's going to be Ibushi beats Okada. Ibushi goes all the way. Ibushi Okada Wrestle Kingdom. Or Ibushi beats Okada. Then Naito beats Ibushi in the G1 finals. And then it's Naito and Okada at Wrestle Kingdom. But then Ibushi still gets his match sometime this fall because he already beat Okada. That could happen. But I think it's just going to be Ibushi going all the way. I hope it's Ibushi going all the way. Definitely in the A block. In the B block, I, I don't see Moxley winning uh, just because he's been on this losing streak these last few shows. Uh, I don't think Jay White would be interested. Really, it should be Naito. Uh, but I don't know if I want to see another Naito versus Ibushi match. They absolutely killed each other the last time. They might need a break from each other or they would literally kill each other. Uh, but whatever it is, I'm sure it's going to be amazing. It's going to be three great nights of wrestling. And also, I'm excited for the final night of the G1 and the G1 finals. Other than the main event, all the other matches are basically going to be like a, a soft reboot because they're going to be launching their new storylines for the fall. So I'm really excited about that. That should be a really, really, really fun show. So that's my preview of this weekend. There's also like a million independent shows. OWE from China is doing a big show in Toronto. There's going to be a something called The Summit. All these women's promotions are getting together for a big super card. Ring of Honor has a, a pay-per-view, but I'm very checked out on Ring of Honor as of late. Uh, ever since the MSG show, I really had a bad taste in my mouth with what they presented, so I'm, I'm loosely paying attention. But, you know, that show is tonight. I will probably, uh, you know, keep some tabs on it. We'll see what's going on. But what are you doing? What are you watching? What do you think is going to happen this weekend? Would love to hear your feedback. Tweet me at Squared Circle Pit on Twitter. No E in Circle. We're also on Facebook. And I am Rob Injection on all social media platforms. That's it for this episode of Squared Circle Pit. Thank you for tuning in. We will be back another time.